What is it about love stories? Throughout history, people have always told love stories. The ancient Greeks told the story of Orpheus traveling to Hades to retrieve his love, Eurydice. Shakespeare wrote Romeo and Juliet. Jane Austen is a household name due to her romantic novels. Today, Disney has created a movie empire on variations of the plot of a princess falling in love. Apparently, people really love love stories. Even the Bible includes romantic poetry of the Song of Solomon. This really shouldn't be surprising since we were made for love. It's what we desire most. In Revelation chapters 21 and 22, we see the end of the cosmic love story between Christ and his bride. It's very romantic and full of twists and turns. There are times when it looks like the boy and the girl will never end up together, but miraculously, they do. Let's take a closer look at this story of stories. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The very first sentence of the Bible introduces us to Yahweh, the main character. What is Yahweh doing? Creating. He builds a home for his future bride. He hasn't even met her yet, though he knows exactly what she will be like. And what kind of home does he build? A perfect garden. Everything his bride could want is there. All her needs met. Wow, what a groom. He also creates two trees. There's the tree of life, which apparently grants eternal life, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Why would Yahweh include such a tree in the home he built for his future bride? Because he wants her to choose him freely. He doesn't want an automaton. Yahweh also creates all the animals and puts his bride, his fiancée, in charge. And apparently, at least some of them talk, which if you've ever wanted to have a conversation with your pet, is really pretty amazing. Finally, not wanting his fiancée to be lonely or incomplete, he multiplies his fiancée so that they are male and female. Their love for each other can remind them of God's love for them. In Genesis chapter 3, we learn that Yahweh enjoys walking in the garden with his fiancée in the cool of the day. Think of it as a romantic stroll. Maybe they would talk about the future wedding feast they would enjoy together when the time comes. But there's a plot twist. Something goes terribly wrong. His fiancée hides from him. How can this be? Doesn't she love him after all he did? It turns out that his fiancée was unfaithful. How devastating. Is that it? Is the love story over? No. The groom is very patient and tender. Even though he has to remove his fiancée from the garden he created and allows trouble to befall her, Yahweh still loved her and had a plan to win her back. And we get a hint of that plan before they even leave the garden. Because of her unfaithfulness, Yahweh's fiancé lost her home. It wasn't until many, many years passed that a new home was promised. Yahweh sent Abram on a journey to Canaan. 
and then promised the land to Abram's descendants. It surely was no Garden of Eden, but it would do just fine. Apparently, after all these years, the groom was doing something new. That was good, since after the flood and the Tower of Babel, things were not looking so great for this relationship. Finally, after 400 years of captivity in Egypt and a very rocky start, the fiancé moved into her new place that her beloved had prepared for her. It even had cities she didn't have to build and vineyards she didn't have to plant. Not too shabby. Yahweh even told his fiancé how to build an ark as a sign of his promise, love, and presence with her. Think of it as a sort of engagement ring. Yahweh also told his fiancé how to build a temple so that they would have a place to meet. Finally, things should have been looking up for the cosmic couple. But no, Yahweh's fiancé couldn't keep her eyes from wandering. The temple was destroyed, the ark was lost, and some unwanted people moved into the fiancé's property like they owned the place. And it happened more than once. Despite that, hope wasn't lost. Yahweh had promised a Messiah, a deliverer, to his fiancé, someone to get her out of this mess. She didn't know exactly what that would look like, but she did know it would mean she would have a place of her own. After hundreds of years of what seemed like the silent treatment, twists and turns come fast and furious. The promised Messiah, now get this, was Yahweh himself. And just as surprising, the fiancé didn't recognize him. So what did she do? She killed him. Yep, the fiancé killed her beloved because she thought he was false. Talk about a tragedy. But just when you thought it was time for the closing credits, the groom-to-be comes back to life. He really was the Messiah. And by his death and resurrection, the fiancé was no longer the same. She wasn't limited to a particular people or place. But there was also a challenge that came with that. When the bride was thought to be strictly God's chosen people, there was no need to do anything apart from love and obey him, which proved to be hard enough. But now, now that all the barriers were demolished, there was an obvious need for the bride-to-be to invite others in. And that's exactly what happened. The Messiah returned to heaven until the time would come for his return. In his place, he sent the Holy Spirit to be a helper and guide for his bride. Finally, the bride seemed to truly love Yahweh. As the years went on, we read in 1 Thessalonians 5.1, the bride-to-be asked, when are we getting married anyway? Yahweh told her to be patient. It wasn't quite time yet. He wanted her to be fully ready. Now we come to the happy ending. Yahweh had John record it for us. In Revelation 19, 7-9, we read, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It is granted her to be clothed with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints." And the angel said to me, Write this, 
Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. But wait, the wedding ring was lost. There's no ark of the promise. How can you have a wedding without a wedding ring? In Revelation eleven nineteen, we read, Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. The wedding ring wasn't lost after all. Everything is ready. To bless his bride, Yahweh creates all over again. He makes a new heaven and a new earth. But this time, instead of a garden, he builds a city, beautiful to behold, and gave an awe-inspiring in its magnitude. When John saw it, he wrote, And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. Then, just like in the creation story, the record is repeated. John writes a few verses later, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And in the spirit, he carried me away to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Now you're probably wondering, but I thought the church was the bride of Christ. But now you're telling me the new Jerusalem is the bride. Which is it? Yes, it's a little confusing. We find the imagery of Yahweh marrying his people as far back as Isaiah. Paul goes one step further, writing to the congregation in Corinth, I feel a divine jealousy for you, for I betrothed you to Christ to present you as a pure bride to her one husband. So we are already familiar with the church as bride. But this metaphorical city, ridiculously huge in its dimensions and perfect in its congruent architecture, is both the dwelling place of the bride and representative of the bride herself. When John looked at the bride, he saw no temple for Yahweh's presence because Yahweh would always be with his bride. But guess what he did see? the tree of life. It never was destroyed. It only removed. And now we learn that the tree brings not just eternal life, but restoration. And it is perfect, never lacking fruit. But what about the bride? Will she ever wander again? No. She has been sealed. The mark of Yahweh is on her forehead, and she will never be apart from him. This is the opposite of the mark of the beast, which, was, which demonstrated allegiance against the groom in Revelation 13, 16. She will never wander again. But can we be sure? Since it sounds like there will still be those outside the holy city who are opposed to Yahweh and the bride. No, though the, the confusion is understandable. When it says in Revelation 21, 27, but nothing unclean shall enter it, nor anyone who practices abomination or falsehood, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life, John is addressing the seven churches of Asia Minor. It's both a warning and exhortation to his readers. To drive the point home, this is a repetition of, a, of verse 8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the polluted, as for murderers, fornicators, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, 
Their lot shall be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. The judgment and the lake of fire was in the previous chapter. That already happened. There is no more judgment to come at this point. So that's how we know John's statements here are sort of stepping out of the story. He's telling his readers to have courage and faith, and they too will dwell forever in the new Jerusalem instead of the lake of fire. So the groom created everything for his bride to enjoy, and then after she had corrupted it with sin, he made everything new again. He gave her a place called Eden, but later built for her a perfect city as a dwelling place. Everywhere we look in the holy city is life and light. There is no evil or darkness at all. And to perfectly encapsulate this love story, we hear the groom in Revelation 21.6 say, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. This doesn't just mean that he is eternal. It means that the beginning of the story is Yahweh. And the end of the story is also Yahweh. It is his story from beginning to end. All other stories pale in comparison. As we prepare to receive communion in the taste of the marriage feast of the Lamb that is yet to come, let us hold tight to this true hope, and they lived happily ever after. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.